A good word, doesn't it? Be the church. That's us this morning. A couple of things that I remind you of from your bulletin. The coming up, uh, March is a busy month. The 16th and 17th men's conference, you can still register. There's still time. Good Friday, the combined service here with there at least four other or three other churches, and four including us, that are meeting together Good Friday at 6.30. So try to set that aside. It should be a great evening together. And then um, 25th, a big Sunday, the fifth anniversary, Ron will be here and speaking on the 25th, along with three of the young men that have gone out of Wellspring. Aaron will be back. Jimmy will be back, and Chris will be back. If you've never met them, it's your chance to, to hear just a quick word from them, find out what they're doing and how they're doing, but all three of them will be here on the 25th. So that's what's coming. And now, let's pray. Lord, as we watched that video, and we uh, saw the beginning with the futility, the frustration, and the emptiness that can come around us. God, we're thankful this morning that we do have the answer. We do know what makes a difference, and it's you. Lord, in every circumstance, you bring hope. There's light in you. Lord, there's light for this world. There's light for our hearts. And I pray this morning for every one of us that we'd be filled with hope. No matter what's going on around us, God, would you speak to us this morning and bring us hope? And we know that hope is bound up in the person of our living and resurrected Savior. And Lord, we pray in his name. Amen. If I were going to write a song, it would be Be Thou My Vision. And since I can't write it, it was already written, I think when I get to heaven someday, one of the first things I'm going to ask God is, God, would you... Give me a voice where I can sing, Be Thou My Vision. Uh, I think, personally, one of the most beautiful hymns ever written. And I do not remember the age of it. Do any of you remember when it was written? Do you know, Sharna? It was written back at the time of, of St. Patrick. It was not actually put to music until the 1700s. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they did pretty well writing hymns some hundreds of years ago, didn't they? That's a great hymn. Don't you think so? Don't you love singing that hymn and hearing it? I love to hear it as a solo. And let me tell you, my personal preference is hear it as a solo with a guitar accompaniment. And so someday, Lord, give me the ability to play a guitar and to sing that song on key to you. Well, this morning we're finishing out 1 Corinthians. And what I'd like to do, just as a refresher before we get into it, is to look at the first chapter. We've been in Corinthians for months, and I want to just go back and kind of refresh our minds. Some of the things in the concluding section that we're going to look at this morning, we're looking at from verse 5 on of chapter 16, and, and some of those things draw back on the first chapter. So I thought it'd be good for us to just read a little bit of that first chapter to give ourselves a reminder and kind of refresh our thoughts on the people uh, and the principal people in the book. Look at the beginning of it, chapter 1, verse 1. The author identifies himself. Paul, 
called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and to our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God which is at Corinth. Let me just pause there for a second. Paul loved the church at Corinth. And as you work through this first section, you can see that he's writing to a church that had lots of problems, all kinds of issues, some wrong practices, some wrong thinking, and then all kinds of questions. And he knows as he's starting out that he's got quite a task ahead of him. You know, there's more written to the church at Corinth than to any other church. There's, I believe, 29 chapters in between 1st and 2nd Corinthians, and so there was a lot to talk about to the Corinthian church. And when he leads off this letter to the church of God, which is at Corinth, uh, that resonates with me because I first believe in the local church. I believe that it's impossible to conceive of the body of Christ, this great body of all believers of all ages in every locale, speaking every language, it's impossible to conceive of that body in any way doing anything mobilized without thinking of a local church, right? How would you do that? Somehow that, that body has to be brought together with a group of people who have common language, like us, who have common interests, like us, who have common culture, like us, and, and then we meet together in a, in a locality as a church, a, a local expression of the body of Christ. And Paul has that in mind when he starts out. To the church at Corinth, I'm writing to a particular group of people, probably a pretty large body. And I've got some things to say to you, but he starts out by just reminding them who they are. To the church at Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. The word sanctified means set apart. So he begins by reminding them that they're a set-apart people. And as you go through the book, you see one application after another. It all applies to us. This morning, I'm speaking to the church in Alliance, the church at Wellspring more specifically. And I'm speaking to a group of people who have been called out, who are set-apart, sanctified to God. If somebody ever says, are you sanctified? Well, if you are a follower of Christ, if you've trusted him as Savior, you're sanctified. You're set apart for his unique service. And then he goes on and talks about that. These are people who are called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Okay, so he's writing to the church at Corinth, to a specific church. And then he begins by starting with a, a word of thanksgiving, verse 4. I give thanks to my God always because of you. You know, Myrna and I have been in a number of churches. And the church bodies have always been home to us. And we've had certain churches in our history that are just really important to us. When we were first married, we moved to Talmadge. And we started to a little church within a mile of where we were living and it was called Fundamental Baptist Church in Talmadge. And you can imagine it was a fundamental Baptist church. But you know what we found there? We found a group of people that loved us. And we came to love. 
And I, my mind goes back to certain people, Bruce and Catherine. We were a young married couple, and Bruce and Catherine were the sponsors for a young married class. And they were so important to us. They modeled Christ before us. They loved the Lord Jesus, and they just lived it out in such practical ways. And trying to bring their kids, they had three children, and bring their kids in to know the Lord and walk with Him. And as we look about that church, there were just people that were important to us. And the, the man who was pastoring was an elderly man at that point. And he was near the end of his ministry, but he loved us. He really did love us. He cared for us. And when he got up in the pulpit, he had one purpose. And that was to teach us and prepare us for the Christian life. How to live Christ out. I see that in Paul here. You, you see his opening comments. He's writing to this church. And he starts out by saying, I give thanks for you. I give thanks for the folks there in that little church at, I think, 828 Southeast Avenue in Talmadge. Still there. Still going on. Am I right at the address? Okay. They should know. Um, and, and then there have been others. When we, right out of Bible College, we went to a little church called Riverview, right along the Ohio River. If you could throw well enough, you could throw a stone in the Ohio River from Riverview Baptist Church. Incidentally, have you seen the pictures of the Ohio River last week? What a devastation they're experiencing down there. The water wouldn't get to Riverview, but it would come up to Route 52, which is right along the river. And the town where we lived, Ripley, all the center of town is underwater right now. It's, it's pretty ugly. So a lot of devastation down there. But Riverview Baptist Church, and at Riverview Baptist Church, it was made up of people just like us. And there was a couple there named Ted and Addie Niebuhr. And if I talked about Ted and Abby, Addie Niebuhr long enough, I'd cry. Because they were, they were older couple. Ted was an engineer. He was a mechanical engineer, and he worked on a power plant. And do you know why he worked? Because the church needed his money. <laughs> and so Ted worked well beyond his retirement years as an engineer at a power plant, full-time, every day, because he wanted to support Riverview Baptist Church. He wanted to support us. He, he wanted us to be there, and he wanted to be part of that. And so we have these kind of memories and experiences in the local church. I believe in Wellspring. I really want Wellspring to do well. I want us to prosper as a local body. And I've come to love people at Wellspring. There are folks here who have become our family, and we love them dearly. Ron has been a good friend for years, and I, I love Ron. And, and uh, even though he went elsewhere, I'll talk about that in another time when Wanda isn't here to hear me, but um, <laughs> welcome, Wanda. You can be a witness. I didn't say anything bad. Will you do that? Okay. But, but they're family, this, this body is family. And when, you, when he's writing to this local church, he's pouring his heart into it. And as he goes through and, and he tries to correct some of their problems. It's never in a, because he wants to punish them. It's always because he wants them to walk the correct path so that their life is good and profitable and productive and peaceful. And so he, he writes with the heart of, a, of the Christ first but the heart of a shepherd and the heart of an apostle to a local church, a local body in Corinth. And then he, he goes on and uh, several things here in chapter 1, but let me just read a little further starting at verse 10. 
chapter 1, verse 10. Here's one of their problems, and you'll see it as we read this. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and with the same judgment. For it's been reported to me that there is quarreling among you. And he doesn't like that. He goes on and he says, verse 12, um, what I mean is that each one of you says, well, I follow Paul, and I follow Apollos, and I follow Cephas, and then some, they're really pious, I follow Christ. And so the, the fractions in that church, and factions, uh, some were really identifying with Paul. Hey, we follow Paul. He's the great apostle. He's the one that goes out and plants churches. We're following him. And some said, that's all fine, but we're following Cephas, Peter, and he's the rock. You remember the conversations he had with Jesus. We're following him. And then others said, no, we're following Apollos. And we're going to see Apollos come back in the picture in just a couple minutes, but Apollos was the eloquent one. He was the educated one. He was the polished one, and it's reported, you see a little bit about Apollos, I think, in Acts 18. But Apollos is the guy that really has it together. He's polished up. And so some say, yeah, well, we're following Apollos. And he said, no, 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 no. You can't do that. We're all following Christ. And we are simply his servants. And so he conveys that. So you see one of the problems they had was factions. And then there's an interesting little uh, footnote on that. He says in verse 15, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. Uh, I, uh, he said, did baptize the household of Stephanus. So he's going back in his mind, he's thinking about his relationship with the church, and he said, hey, you guys can't all say you were baptized by Paul. You want to get puffed up? No, but I did baptize a guy named Stephanus in his household. Now, kind of keep that in your mind because it's going to come back to us. Then he goes on with, with many corrections and many answers to their questions throughout the book. We come to chapter 16. The book of 1 Corinthians is kind of heavy in some places because he talks about sexual purity very straightforward. He talks about communion and the abuses of communion when they come together. Uh, he talks about money. And he talks particularly about the resurrection and the import of the resurrection. And that's where he finishes chapter 15. When he moves into 16, I see a different feel in this section. And, and rather than correction and doctrine and heavier things... I see him just simply saying to them, okay, guys, you got all that. Now, here's how you live day to day. This is living that faith out. You know, a number of years ago, Gene Getz, uh, who I dearly love, Gene Getz is a, a writer, a pastor uh, who's retired now, and an older man, but he was in uh, central Texas. He started some churches called Fellowship Bible Churches. And Gene had a, a, a term that he used that described what he wanted to see in his church, and it was called body life. 
body life. And that's always stuck with me. There's something about that phrase. This is how the body kind of lives their faith out. Body life. This is body life. And so this morning when you see my title, uh, I didn't plagiarize. I just gave him credit for that because that's where body life came from. And then when you see the subpoints, the B's in there, uh, those came from Warren Wiersbe. How many of you ever read anything by Warren Wiersbe in his B series, Be Joyful? And Okay, there's 50 of them. And he took important words out of the New Testament, and he developed uh, books around them. So there's like 50 in his series. So when I use B as subpoints, I'm once again acknowledging that Warren Wiersbe started that, so you guys can relax. Now, I'm not plagiarizing, okay? I've given them credit, and we can move on through this. You know, one other kind of precursor before we go into this. Having grown up and having gone to school in a very right-wing, fundamental kind of a church, Doctrine was really important to us, really important. And having correct doctrine was a critical thing to us. I believe in correct correct doctrine. I think we should be right on with what the Bible teaches. But I also acknowledge that somewhere I'm wrong. (laughs) If I knew I was wrong, I'd change. But I'm not right on everything. Try trust there's nothing in the big picture that I'm wrong on. But there are little things that we just went through the book of Jonah. And a couple things I said out of Jonah and the ABF this morning are conjecture. And I may well be wrong. I, I, there could be something else that I'm not seeing. And, and so it's possible for us maybe not to be right. But the world around us and our friends and our family and our community are not going to know we are Christians because of our correct doctrine. Because they could care less if we've got correct doctrine. We care. And certainly we want to be right. But they don't care. How are they going to know we are Christians? That's right. That's right. Christ said it. Uh, John said it. But time and again it was said. Christ said in particular, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And if, if we want a contagious kind of church where the community can see Christ, yes, we, we want good doctrine. We don't want to be wrong on things. But the more important thing is that we love one another. And then the extension of that love is we love people. We love them. You know, I see the love of God through Paul throughout this book. But, but we need to flesh out the love of God. And, and you see, there's going to be one little phrase in this section that's going to talk about the love of God. But look at that section in 1 Corinthians 16. I'm going to start just reading verse 5 through 9. And what I saw here is be engaged. And I'll explain why I said that in just a moment. But let me read first. Uh, 1 Corinthians 16, 5 through 9, if you want to track with me. He said, I'll visit you after passing through Macedonia. For I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you, or even spend the winter, so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you just now in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, 
if the Lord permits. But I'll stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for the effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Now, at first reading, you read that, and you think, well, the important thing is that we can trace Paul's journeys. We know where he went, and, and that's important enough. You can go back to the book of Acts and his other epistles, and you can figure out what Paul is saying and where he's going. But I'm not sure that's the most important thing out of that. Why did he tell them so intimately of his plans? Why did he say, I'm going to Ephesus? I'm going to spend time. Why did he say, I, I really want to come to you, but I, just, I don't want to just pass through and see you for a day or two. I want to come and stay with you, spend time with you. Why would he tell them all of that? Well, he's, I believe he's telling them that so that they'll be engaged in his ministry. Don't you? Do you see that? Here's the reason I'm going from here to there to there, and this is what I'm facing there. And when, when I go to Ephesus, I've got lots of adversaries there. Do you, do you think he's asking them to enter into his ministry and to be engaged in his ministry? We have a, a dear friend, longtime friend. He goes all the way back to Fundamental Baptist Church. His name is Ken Booth. And Ken has worked with Wycliffe in Bible translation for many, many years. Whatever I say would be wrong, but maybe 40 years. He was a high school student when I knew him. He was running track and doing other things. And I've mentioned Ken before. But the neat thing about Ken is he was on the African continent for 20 years and Southeast Asia the last term. And, you know, I can communicate with him all the time. The Internet is not all evil, folks. I can email him and keep up with him. And Ken would always tell me what he's doing. And why did he bother? I mean, he'd always tell me where he was going and what he's doing and what kind of experience he had there. And why did he bother? Because he wanted me engaged in his work. That's why they send out letters. That's why missionaries send letters. Of course, they need money. But more than that, they want people engaged that know their work, that can have an intimate understanding of what they're doing. And I believe that's what Paul is calling for here. I'm moving from here to there. I want to come see you guys. I don't want to just pass through. I want to spend time with you. And, and it's a call for them to take their minds, their hearts, and track with him and be part of what he's doing, be part of his ministry. Paul uh, wanted them to be engaged in his work in the Lord in every way. He was, trying, he was soliciting their heart, I believe. That's why he's given them the detail. The next section, beginning at, at verse 10, short section, just 10 through 12. And here I see him calling the church to be hospitable. Hospitable. How do we practice hospitality in 2018 in Alliance, Ohio? Well, it's different than it would have been here. But let me just read those couple verses, starting at verse 10. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you. For he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I urged him to visit you along with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. When Timothy comes, put him at ease. I like that 
description, don't you? Just kind of receive Timothy and be hospitable to him, be kind to him. Now, why does he bring up Timothy in particular? You know, Timothy was a young man. And in his first epistle to Timothy, I believe it is, he says, Timothy, don't let anybody despise your youth. So the first reason maybe is that Timothy is young. The second thing is that Timothy had a heathen Greek father and a Jewish mother. And so that wasn't necessarily kindly looked on in their culture. He was of a mixed culture, and he was not raised as a Jew. He was, he was, not, he was raised from his earliest days, probably he knew anything. He was raised to walk with Christ, but he was not raised as a Jew. He, he was raised with the influence of a father who didn't care. I believe, because you don't see anything about him. You see a lot about his mom and his grandma. But so he says, Timothy, you guys received Timothy. Would there have been the tendency, because of his ethnic background, to reject him? Do you think? I think there could have been. And why is he singling him out? Because he's saying there is no ethnic background in the church. And I think that's important for us this morning. Wouldn't you love to walk in next Sunday and see a mix of races and ethnicities in our church? Wouldn't you love to see that? You know, I long for it. It is so hard, just a little departure, it is so hard to mix the cultures. Um, There's things you have to do that most churches are not willing to do. If you're going to include, let's be specific, if you're going to include an African-American, a black congregation in with you, do they do service just a little different than we do? Yeah. And let's be honest with each other. Is a little bit out of your comfort zone sometimes. You know, they do a lot of give and take. There's a lot of call and response. And we don't do a lot of that, do we? Well... It would be hard for us. Let's be, let's be totally honest. It would be hard for us to bring in another culture and assimilate that culture into our church. It would be hard. And the other thing you have to do is accept their leaders. Yes, they have to be qualified. But if you're going to mix churches, you have to accept their leadership too. Well, how did I get that out of this section? Well, uh, Timothy's coming to them, and Timothy's a little different. And he's saying, be hospitable to Timothy. Be good to him. Be kind to him. Receive him. Provide for him. Meet his needs. And that's the same as hospitality today. Uh, Alex Strock wrote a little book called Hospitality Commands. It's worth reading. Anything Alex Strock writes is worth reading. But he talks about the lack of hospitality in the church today. I don't think there's a lack of hospitality at Wellspring. You you go to each other's homes and you mix your lives. But it's much more uncommon today in 2018 to invite people into your home for dinner, isn't it? Than it was perhaps 30, 40 years ago. Uh, I'm not sure it should be. You know, a home doesn't have to be perfect. People don't care. It's okay if there's a little mess in a bedroom or something. It's okay. The more important thing is that we're bringing people to us and loving them through our home. So be hospitable. He goes on and talks about Apollos, and I I think there's uh, uh, something in that. He said, I wanted him to come visit you, but he didn't want to. 
Now, why might that be true? Remember back in chapter 1 when we read, some of them were saying, I'm of Paul, and some I'm of Peter, and some I'm of Apollos. It probably enters into why Apollos did not want to come to them right now. Because he probably thought, this is Paul's day. Uh, I, I don't want to interfere in what he's doing, and I don't want to make this confusing. There is no evidence that Paul and Apollos ever had any tension between them. The problem wasn't them. The problem was in the people that were, were hooking up with one or the other and considering it to be better, for considering themselves to be superior because of who they were with. And so Apollos just kind of declined at this point. I think whatever is reason, it's probable that it has to do with that tension in the early days when, when Paul writes the letter. And so be hospitable. I think that's a good word for the church today is be hospitable. A little bit ago, uh, Kevin read just two verses, verse 13 and 14. And uh, I believe it is uh, John MacArthur that's doing a whole series on these verses right now. And I think he's doing six weeks out of the two verses I'm going to spend the next four minutes on. (laughs) So if that gives you any indication. But these next two verses, I believe, call for us to be courageous. Verse 13 and 14. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. That all that you do be done in love. In our uh, politically correct environment, what's wrong with that verse? Is there anything in there that you think could get flagged out? Do you see anything? Like, act like men? Do you see? Do you think that might get flagged out in our society? <laughs> act like men. Well, what's he calling them to? Men, if you haven't noticed, are different than women. You, if I don't want to bring any news to you, no revelation, but men are different than women. They're wired different uh, in every way. From the beginning, it has been, and we talked about this out of this book, from the beginning has been God's plan for men to be the leaders of the home. Now, not because they're superior. Certainly, that's not true. Not because they have any more clout with the Lord than women, because that's not true. And certainly not because they're smarter. Because let's face it, guys, some of us are dumber than a rock, right? And, and it's not because we're smarter. That's not why. It's because we have different roles in our society and in our home. And I believe there's a time where men need to be men. And I think he's saying here just what he says. He's saying men be men. Step up. Be men. Be strong. Be courageous. And, but he goes on. He says... Uh, let all that you be done, all that you do, be done in love. Now, that we've got to stop there. Because in our strength as men, when we are defending the doctrine, and we are defending our family, and we are defending our turf in every place that we think we have to. You know, we're, most men are willing to do that, right? We'll step up and defend. But we kind of lose the last part of that. And that everything we do in our courage, in our courageous acts, needs to be done in love. Because how is it that they're going to know that we are disciples of Christ? By our love. 
Once again, you can defend the faith so hard. Okay, do you understand what I'm saying? Okay, I'm not sure I can describe it. But you can, you can be so concerned about defending the faith that you forget that you've got to love people. I stood in a parking lot uh, one time, and I argued with a young man over security of the believer. And we argued for about an hour and back and forth, and I felt like I had supported my position. He felt like he had supported his position. And, you know, as I look back on it, that was a really stupid conversation. <laughs> shouldn't have been there. Shouldn't have gotten into it. It, it should have been, in a, if we're going to talk about it, it should have been in a different context and not arguing in a parking lot. People walking by us, because it was an argument, people walking by us, what would they think? And what would they think of us? What would they think of our faith? Not very highly, would they? Other times, there, you might have a passing comment, but you end up expressing love. Now, I'm not saying again, because he calls us to have strength and courage, and I'm not saying we should retreat from that in any way, but whatever we do, it's got to all be done in love. Can we agree on that? It's got to be done in love. People got to know you love them. It doesn't matter if you're right if you don't love them. And they know that. And so he finishes that little phrase out of uh, 13, 14. Let all that you do be done in love. Okay. Love. Can that drive us? What is it that will ultimately propel Wellspring Bible Church into the future. What is it? I believe of all things, that's right, Paul, I believe of all things, it is our love for the Lord and our love for people and us demonstrating that. And that'll take us into the future, is loving people and let them know you love them and demonstrate that love in every way you can. On... I think it was Friday night, um, we went to Matt and Lauren's house. And Matt and Lauren are talking with a family that we know about trying to help, and we're not sure where any of it's going, but right now it's in a fact-finding kind of thing. They, they have a, the family has a little boy who his fourth birthday is this week, and they can't care for him. And they're not sure what's going to happen with this little guy. And you might pray for Benjamin and pray for the whole circumstance. But little Benjamin went over and with his grandmother who cares for him, his 81-year-old grandmother is caring for him, and went over to Matt and Lauren's and had a play date with their kids. And he was very quiet. Myrna and I picked him up, and he was very quiet the whole time in the car, never said a word. I didn't hear him at least. He was sitting in back, and I was driving. But when we got there, he walked through that door, and he just burst into action with those kids. And down the steps to their play area in the basement, and just and from one thing to the other. And, and he's interacting with these kids the whole time. Now, why did I bring it up? Because there was love shown there to that family. And we sat at the kitchen table and ate some pizza and, and just talked. Uh, nothing real profound, just talked. 
But there was love shown there, and there was also hospitality shown there that night. Matt and Lauren, I'm not singling them out except that it's fresh in my mind. They showed hospitality, but they also showed love. They have concern for Benjamin. Uh, maybe just another word on that. I had mentioned in, in men's uh, meetings, and we prayed for his mother, who is very sick. I, I won't give you any more detail than that. His mom is very sick and probably will never be able to care for him. His grandmother has raised him since he was born. His grandmother, I believe, is 81 now. And her health is not the best, and she's 81 now. And she recognizes that she can't care for him forever, and she's really concerned about it. And so she's looking at possibilities. She does not want him to get into a court system uh, where the, the public uh, officials are placing him. She wants him in a Christian home. And, and we, we've prayed for, for these folks at our men's group several times. Jessica is his mom's name. I saw her this week. She's not good. She's not healthy. She's not well. But here's little Benjamin. And when we mentioned it one night in prayer meeting, within a short time, Matt came to me, and he said, we want to talk to them about Benjamin. And we're not sure where all that's going, but just pray for Matt and Lauren and pray for the family and pray for their kids and the whole circumstance. Because what they're trying to do is fully within the expression of what we're seeing here, I believe. It's loving others and it's providing hospitality and providing real, active, loving concern for other people. That's what's going to describe a church that prospers. I believe that. You can have great programs, and it might draw some people in, but you may not be a great church. But if you practice love in a great way and demonstrate it, you're going to be a great church. And whether you have lots of people or not lots of people, you're going to be a great church. Love people. Then the next section there. I I believe the next section he is talking about something a little different. He is talking about being submissive. Let me read, pick up from verse uh, 15, uh, the next couple of verses. Now I urge you, brothers, that you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these, and to every fellow worker and laborer, I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, because they have made up for your absence, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to these people. Now, we remember the name Stephanus from back in chapter 1. He was the one that Paul baptized from the church at Corinth. But he says, be subject. Be subject to Stephanus. Now, let's see if we can get that picture. How many places can Paul be at one time? This, is, this isn't a puzzle here. He can only be one, right? One place, one time. And so if Paul is going to duplicate his work, how is he going to do that? Well, he's going to do it the way the Bible describes and the way Wellspring was founded uh, as he equips faithful men that they can teach others also. 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. And so what he's doing is equipping men, checking their character, and then sending them out 
to the churches. And he says, okay, here's a guy I'm sending. You know him. You know about him. That's always the best way. And you need to be subject to him because he's coming with my authority. He's coming. I've tested his character, and he's okay. So I, I believe it's a call there to be submissive. That's not easy, especially not easy with human leaders. It's not always easy to be submissive. He says, be subject to such as these, to the men who've been trained, equipped, and commissioned to come be subject to these. And, and there is a place for leadership in a local church. Uh, not, he, he gives lots of instructions to men who are going to be pastors, not to lord over and those kind of things, and yet they've been commissioned. And he says, be subject to these. And then that last section, um, starting at verse 19 and reading on, th- this section uh, got my attention. There's a couple words in here that you've heard and maybe have never thought through, but let's read starting at 19. The churches of Asia send you greetings, Aquila and Prisca, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. And if I could just pause there for one second, we typically shake hands, right? You've got to be careful with that holy kiss thing. <laughs> uh, make sure it's holy, okay? <laughs> I, I've always been real uncomfortable when in men kissing women and women kissing men, and, and there's something about that that makes me uncomfortable. So I think shaking hands is fine, you know, or an embrace if you feel it appropriate. But in their culture, the holy kiss was a handshake. That, that was their culture. But notice he does say holy kiss. Can we signal that out? Holy kiss. Um, then look what he says, 21. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Now, the rest of the letter was probably given through his secretary, an Amanusis, who wrote it all out for him. But he wants to conclude this in his own handwriting. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord comes. The grace of the Lord be with you. May love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Isn't it interesting? His last comment there. Love be with you. The, the phrase, um, let him be accursed, our Lord comes. If you've got an old King James, anybody remember what the King James said? Anathema, Maranatha. Anathema is accursed. Maranatha is our Lord come. The parent church of Wellspring was Maranatha Bible Church. Great, great name. Most people haven't any idea what it means, but it's a great name because Maranatha means our Lord comes. So he's closing this letter out, and, and he's calling for some really active discernment because he said if people don't love the Lord... If, there, if you see that their lives aren't consistent with what the Lord would have, with walking with Him, then you've got to understand, if they don't love the Lord, don't, don't make them part of you. You know, there is a call here to discernment. Do you see that? Because if they don't love the Lord, if they don't call Jesus Lord, if they don't recognize the resurrection, then they're accursed. doesn't mean we hate them. It doesn't mean that we don't interact with them. It simply means we recognize that they're not of God. 
that we're making a discernment there. We're making a decision about who they are and what they believe. And if they don't believe in the Lord Jesus, then by his word, they're cursed. And we, we acknowledge that, right? But how do we do that? Well, my love be with you and in you. The love that Paul had, the love of Christ, was to drive them. And so even in that, we don't go out and say you're accursed to someone. That's not the idea. The idea is that we listen to what they say. And listen, we can't defend a faith that we don't know. If we don't understand our faith, we can't possibly defend it, right? So we've got to understand our faith. And if if their teaching is contrary to our faith then they cannot be in leadership. They can't be at the forefront. They can, they can certainly come, they can sit, they can listen, but we wouldn't put them into the forefront. And so we're making a decision based on active discernment there. And then that word, the Lord's coming. you believe that? Sometimes I ask myself that. Do I really believe the Lord's coming? People have always believed the Lord's coming. Do, do I believe the Lord's coming? And if I believe that, will it make a difference in things like we're talking about this morning? I, I believe so. Folks, the Lord is coming. We'll talk about that at some point in the future. But the Lord is coming. And, and let me say just one more time. The Lord is coming. He promised he's coming. We know he's coming. Maranatha. The Lord comes. What should we be like? Well, the church here at, at Wellspring ought to be all of these things. Uh, as we do church, as we live out Christ day to day, we ought to, we ought to be all of these things. This is what we're to be. And then as the world watches us and sees what we're doing and they see the love of Christ in us, more will be drawn in. And they can be part of us. I'm done. So what, what should we do with this? What should we do with this? Well, I think the instruction that he gave to the church at Corinth is a good word to the church at Wellspring. And we ought to be all of these things to the Lord. And certainly we ought to be uh, discerning. Certainly we ought to be hospitable. We ought to be all of these things. And people ought to see it. And want to be part of us. Let's pray. Lord, as we've looked through and even this brief brief glimpse at this last section, what we see is your passion for your church and your passion for the local church. And we see, Lord, you commissioning men like Paul to establish churches and then to equip them and Lord, we, we see also that when all of the errors are corrected and when, when the church is discerning in every way, that the thing that is most important that people are going to see is the love of Jesus in us. God, help us to be a church where love is seen. Help us to love one another in a way that it becomes contagious, that people see it, that we love one another. And Lord, as we're doing that, help us to be discerning We don't want to embrace error. We don't want to embrace anything that in any way diminishes our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We don't want to embrace anything that would challenge his resurrection. 
in his work today as our mediator. God, help us to be discerning. And as we practice discernment, God, would you help us to act in love? Uh, may we never stand in a parking lot again and argue over something. Uh, but rather, Lord, let, help, us, help us to lovingly embrace those who might disagree and be able to show them through your word in a way that's not argumentative, but that is loving, just as Paul did. That's loving. And God, I thank you for this book. I thank you that you loved the church at Corinth with uh, all of their problems, warts and all, you loved them. And I thank you, Lord, that you love us this morning. Uh, We are your church. We acknowledge that you are the head of our church. And we want to align with you in every way. And God, I pray that as we do church here in Alliance, that the gospel would be clear. We believe what you've said, that there's no other way than through the Lord Jesus. There's no other name given among men whereby men must be saved other than the name of the Lord Jesus. Help us to be faithful in proclaiming the name of the Lord Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.